Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Good morning. Today we're taking our instructions from Jesus from, the, from Matthew's gospel. We're beginning in chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus says, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Have I mentioned in a while how desperate I am to see you all again? I am so past Uh, preaching to an empty room and this season of separation. I I can't wait for when we are back together uh, singing and hugging and doing all the stuff uh, that we miss. And I do want to see you all back in this room soon, but I've also uh, come to realize that we will not all be back. Uh, And that's a hard thing to realize for me. There's a probability I think that a lot of the folks who used to come to church may not when this pandemic is over. Some of our older members, those who are most physically vulnerable, are not likely to be back for good reasons. But I also think there's a chance that we may lose the spectator group also. The spectator group are the ones who come on Sunday seeing pray, hope to get a good word to help during the week, but otherwise get back to the sedan, keep their distance. And besides, I'm hearing a lot of folks say right now that they're really digging church uh, on the sofa in their gym shorts. But the spectator church is not anything that the early church community would have understood at all. The early church The biblical community of Christ followers did not go to church. They were the church. Committed to the way of Jesus, they wanted to be with each other. They wanted to hear the teachings again and again and again. They wanted to understand more fully this upside-down way of living a path of love. They gathered and ate and prayed and read and gave and worked to form themselves in a community with a Jesus-informed imagination so that they could be salt and light in a broken world. 
So the early church wouldn't even know what to do with some of the things we say to each other. When was the last time you went to church? Or what time does church start? They were the church. And they were bound together in that mission, sharpening one another. They they were so bound together that the Apostle Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. The eye can't be the same as the big toe. They've got different functions entirely, but they're tied together so that one doesn't function well without the other. You can't be without being connected to one another. And so if a member of the early church heard one of us say, I'm a member at Second Pots, the music ministry's outstanding, and they offer a lot for my kids, and the preacher doesn't preach too long. Well, they'd have no category for that. It's a committed group of Christ followers bound together to sharpen each other against the truth of God's teaching, hoping and helping each other to grow more fully in who they were created to be in Christ. And the church community becomes the practice field, a a way of practicing out this living of a radical new vision of what God is doing in the world. As as we saw in last week's scripture, the church first tries to, to love and serve and give and sacrifice within the Christian community in order to build the muscles to offer this love even to the most unlovely. Well, one of the appeals of the spectator church is that nobody sees your brokenness. We can offer our most groomed and best-dressed self to the Sunday gathering without anybody seeing how broken or distressed I really am. But church, real church, is not a gathering of self-sufficient people who meet on Sunday. The biblical models call for mutuality, interdependence, shared life. But let's be honest, shared life isn't that easy. Don't don't hear me idealizing the early church as some kind of toddler tea party. Because one of the aspects of church that has been unchanged for all time is that the church is made up of folks And we're a broken mess too, and so were they. They had members who inspired them, but they also had members who made them crazy. There were mature ones in the gathering who were models of selfless living, but I'm sure they had a few jerks sprinkled in there too. So some of the biblical teaching is just plain counsel about how to live together. I mean, sometimes the scriptures soar with a vision of God's reign and God's love. But but sometimes we kind of get the stuff of a personnel manual. And in this section of Matthew, Jesus teaches about how to handle it when someone in the church has done you wrong, when one of the brothers or sisters acts a fool which means he assumes it's going to happen, right? I mean, as we said, the church is made up a a gaggle of broken people, and sometimes our brokenness 
acts out in destructive ways even within the community. And once again, Jesus turns all the expectations upside down. Now, now to hear the jolt of this, I, I want to first outline what is expected, what is normal, then and now. Somebody is done bad. That's the victim. Somebody did bad. That's the perpetrator. Or in the biblical language, the person who has sinned. Someone someone sins, somebody gets sinned on. And the expectation is that we will come together and love and care for and heal the victim. The accused is innocent until proven guilty in some cases. But once proven guilty, all torment reigns with merciless hatred and loud defamation. That's our expectation, and that's how the world is wired even today. Now, in contrast, hear Jesus' upside-down ruling on this. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. This is an act of caring for the accused. The instruction is intended to care for the person who did wrong. The biblical translation we use in our readings here at Second Ponce, uh, the New Revised Standard Version, attempts to take away all of the male-gendered language when it's obviously intended for all of us. For instance, the Scripture might literally say, if a man confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart, and our version would translate that, if a person confesses and believes. Since since clearly that verse is not just talking about dudes. But in this case, in this passage, we miss something important in that shift. The literal translation is, if a brother sins against you. And our translation says, if a member, which misses the family language. If somebody messes up, hurts you, hurts the body, sins, do everything you can to keep from embarrassing or bringing shame to the offender because he or she is your family member after all. But how rare is it to see somebody who loves so broadly that he or she even cares for the person who did wrong? Last year, I read, uh, I read the book about Richard Jewell and the Olympic Park bombing in Atlanta uh, before I saw the movie, uh, rented the movie and watched it at home. And the major thrust of the book was to highlight how in the newspaper's urgency to be the first ones to break the story, they ended up destroying the reputation of an innocent Richard Jewell. Our cultural reality 
is that offenders should be quickly and publicly shamed. In this case, he was not even the actual offender. But in the upside-down teaching of Jesus, it says we deal with offender, we deal with confrontation in the smallest possible circle to get it resolved. First, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault when the two of you are alone. If the, if the member listens, you have regained that one. See, if it works, you've helped broker trust in the relationship. You've helped a brother or sister grow while not shaming him or her. But what if it remains unresolved? Then just open the circle a little bit. If you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We are going to deal with the sin. We are going to deal with the offense. But in the smallest possible circle, because we also love the one who did the harm. It seems like an outrageously high bar to love even the offender. Will Campbell was a a Tennessee preacher, author, Civil rights advocate, singer, songwriter. It's kind of it's kind of hard to know how to describe Will Campbell if you never met him or read any of his work. But he was kind of a Renaissance renegade of sorts. In fact, he didn't even know how to describe his occupation. I heard him say one time in a speech that when when he gets to one of those forms that ask for your occupation. He finally started reading, uh, writing in, author of rare books. He said every time he gets a royalty check, he's aware of how rare all of his books are. Anyway, as I said, he was an early champion of the civil rights movement, uh, a white man who walked with black children through the mob that gathered integrating a high school in 1957. He was the only white face at the founding of Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. He played a subtle but important role in integrating Nashville's shops and restaurants. And I tell you this background because I want you to understand the shock, dismay, and anger that came his way when he became the unofficial chaplain pastor to the Ku Klux Klan. No kidding. Campbell never wavered about his commitment to racial justice. But he would say over and over to people who challenged him about having dinner with Klan leaders, if you're going to love one, you've got to love them all. When the Grand Dragon of the New York, uh, the, of the North Carolina Ku Klux Klan was indicted and tried for contempt of Congress, Campbell was with him when the marshals came to take him away. Campbell stayed in touch with his family, went to visit him in prison. And when red-faced anger came his way because of these friendships, he said, Mr. Jesus died for the bigots as well. 
Okay, as I said, Campbell was a kind of one-of-a-kind radical. This, this isn't a sermon call to encourage you to find a Klansman to take to dinner. But what happens to the health of the church if we take seriously the principles of Matthew 18? Loving even the one who did wrong. Private rebukes, born of love, intended to help a brother see or sister see the blind spots and grow. The, the principle of handling conflict in the smallest possible circles, using words like confession and restoration and reconciliation, so that we heal the community rather than humiliate the accused. I racked my brain uh, trying to come up with illustrations, went to all the usual resources, trying to find illustrations to help this uh, passage come to life for us. Well, Well, I jotted down, came up with hundreds of accounts of this principle being violated, like, like the guy I know who sits at the head of his table of the table of his organization and takes delight in mowing down his staff, so that when all the staff is present, he'll point one out and just have at it, so everybody can see. Or, or, or the pastor I know who was accused of all kinds of sins in an anonymous, unsigned letter that somebody mailed to a hundred members of his church. I I could go on and on and on, illustrating the violation of this principle, dealing with sin in the smallest possible circles. But I wanted an illustration of somebody doing it right. (laughs) And then it finally dawned on me, There are no stories to tell except my own because the sin that was dealt with in the smallest circle possible means that the story never got out. The offender was redeemed, the church was strengthened, the gospel was honored, and and nobody ever knew a thing. I appeal to you please do not even consider trading in our shared life for some sermon video in your pajamas. We do not watch church. Church is not a spectator sport. We are the church, the body of Christ, the family of faith. We offend each other, step on each other, apologize to each other, forgive each other. And in this messy enterprise of shared life, we learn in community how to be representatives of Christ's love in the world. This this pandemic will one day be over. We will regather, we will do life together, and when we do, we're going to mess up and forgive and redeem and mess up again. But we can only live out these principles with each other if we're back in each other's space and stepping on each other's feet and bumping each other in the hall. So when the call comes for us to regather, I need your broken self to be here with my brokenness 
We can't watch church. You and I need to get together in community and practice what it means to be the church so that we might be the agents of Christ's love he is calling us to be to the world. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.